0: Hello skiers and snowboarders, welcome to March as we're getting ready for one of the most enjoyable times of the ski season. Hi, I'm Tom Kelly, your host for Last Chair from Ski Utah, telling the story of the greatest snow on earth. We've had a great season with Last Chair as we've covered the best of big and little cottonwood along with the Wasatch Back. But this week, we've headed north to Ogden, which has become a fascinating ski town with close proximity to three resorts, plus headquarters to a host of global equipment industry companies. Ogden is a unique ski town and a ton of fun as a base to hit Snow Basin, Powder Mountain, and Nordic Valley. Downtown Ogden is a great place for a ski trip with nice restaurants and breweries, and we love coming up here for the evening and enjoying 25th Street's. So to learn more about Ogden today, we're going straight to the top here at City Hall, the Ogden Municipal Building, a wonderful old Art Deco structure that is listed on the National Register of Historic Places. Our guest today is Ogden Mayor Mike Caldwell who was re-elected for a third term last November and pretty sure Mike is one of the most active mayors that you'll ever meet. An overall outdoor adventurer, Mike is an experienced cyclist and skier who's been very actively engaged with Ski Utah. Now in his third term he's only the second mayor in Ogden in 20 years with both he and his predecessor working to make Ogden a center for the ski industry and now the home of many global brands as well as three resorts. And now uh, Mike thanks for joining us here today.
1: That's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Beautiful bluebird day here in Ogden. Oh, it's going to be mid 60s. I wish I was out on my bike, um, but I'm happy to be here with you. That's a it's a close second.
0: I, I know we're here to talk about skiing, but have you been able to get out on the bike a bit?
1: Yeah, a little bit. You know, um, it's a bit of an issue I have at home. I think I have eight different bikes. I got a that's kind of my. My uh, guilty pleasure, um, you know, I played a lot of basketball and everything growing up and, you know, torn an ACL and was always really active. And I always rehabbed on the bike and then just learned that I love riding a bike. And yeah. we live in the best state in the U.S. in terms of diversity, Moab and St. George and where we live here along the Wasatch Front and everything else. You can just see so much. And feel so less beat up when you go out and, and ride a bike than just about any other activity. So, Mike, if you
0: have eight bikes hanging in the garage, how many pairs of skis do you have in there?
1: Well, I probably have close to the same number. I got a backcountry set up, then powder skis, yeah. big fat powder skis, then some slalom skis. And I, I, I probably have five. Yeah. Five pairs of skis. Five pairs. Yeah. yeah. What,
0: what will your wife say you have?
1: Well, then I have some older skis I don't use, so I probably
0: have about eight (laughs) pairs of skis too. (laughs) That's a lot of fun. So uh, you grew up in Ogden. Tell us a little bit about your background.
1: Yeah, I grew up here. um, Went to Ogden City Schools, and uh, you know, I grew up in an active family. We, uh, my dad has always been a motorcycle guy and a bike guy and uh, when it was 82-ish so i would have been 12 i was born in 1970 we started going to moab because you had this thing called the slick rock trail and we spent every easter in moab and uh, my dad started reading about we all couldn't ride motorcycles we couldn't afford motorcycles we grew up fairly poor Um, we had six kids and my dad owned a tunics. So it was, we had to find other ways to go out and, and to do things and to have fun. And so we went to Moab every spring f- for Easter weekend before the Jeep Safari or anything else. And we read about Slick Rock. And so my dad was a trials motorcycle guy. And that's about the time Mount Bikes started coming out. And so we just, um, started my, my brother little brother rode it on a BMx bike a couple of times in a slick rock trail which, a BMx bike yeah BMx bike with no gears or anything else and we always but we grew up in an, a, a a family where we didn't have a lot of money to go out and do things so we just went out and adventured and we hiked in the mountains we did things like riding slick rock on a BMx bike and my dad was a big scouter um, all four of my brother all three of my brothers my dad was an eagle scout and all four of his sons went through the scouting process, and, you know, my girls laugh about that now because uh, they were in the Girl Scouts for a little while, and they thought, all we're doing is sitting at Walmart and selling cookies. And we heard about <laughs> you guys putting a whole bunch of shotguns in the back of the truck and going out to the West Desert and doing all kinds of amazing things as Boy Scouts, and we don't get any of that. And so, I grew up in a family where the outside was critically important to us. And we got to go ski at Snow Basin and Powder Mountain and explore things. And that was always a big part of, of my family's lifestyle was just being very active and being outside and, and involved in things. So yeah.
0: And that was going down to Moab and a Slick Rock Trail before really a lot of other people had discovered it. Nobody.
1: We would go down on those weekends on Easter weekend, which is the busiest weekend of the year down there. And we wouldn't see one other person out there in the four or five hours it took us to ride it. I mean, you can ride it now in an hour. Yeah. <sighs> on well, full suspension mountain bike and everything else. But on a BMX bike, no, it was all different. hands on deck. It was full adventure. And there I can't think of a time in those first handful of years that we didn't have to walk out carrying parts from bikes because they just weren't built to take that kind of rigorous beating. But, you know, we, we just thought it was amazingly fun to go out with our dad on a beautiful spring day in the desert on this slick rock and have this great adventure. And, and that's just kind of how we grew up. So we've always, my family, I was really blessed to grow up in a family that really like to get outside and to go do things and to go beat yourself at the mercy of nature.
0: Yeah, we like to go down there with our jeeps, so we'll be down there for Easter Jeep Safari coming up in just a, a short few weeks now, and uh, similar areas. But it's it's interesting to see how how that has grown. By the way, you can uh, tell your sisters that that's a pretty valuable service that they perform selling those Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> <laughs> I just got my shipment. Just got my shipment the other day.
1: But they've uh, always felt jip because they didn't get to go shoot guns and drive around in the <laughs> desert and bounce around in the back of pickup trucks. I mean, scouting was a lot different back. In the days when my dad was a scale master. So yeah. I, I was lucky to have have such a great, uh, a great mentor to g- get outside and do things.
0: Well, that's that's a great experience. You know, I, I've always enjoyed Ogden, and uh, I, I remember the first time that I, I'd moved to Utah in 1988 and came up here for a Ski Utah meaning downtown Ogden, and I saw this amazing Art Deco building, which we're in right now, the Ogden Municipal Building, uh, and, and this is is just really a fascinating city. Can you can you tell us a little bit more? Let's go back in time and talk about the history that has really made Ogden the place it is today.
1: So. That's one of the things I love the most about Ogden and certainly when you consider other cities along the Wasatch front, we've got a really rich and colorful history. Ogden was a rail town. And so we were out of the gates were one of the most diverse cities along the entire Wasatch front because every train that came, every transcontinental rail train that had to uh, was going across the country had to stop in Ogden. They were steam engines back then. So every four hours you had to stop and refill your coal and water boilers for the steam engines. And so every single transcontinental train had to stop in Ogden. So we had 100 trains a day that would come in, stop, purge all of these people out onto 25th Street and everywhere else. And uh, they had to wait a couple of hours to fill everything up and then put everybody back on the train. And for 100 years, we were that main stop on the Transcontinental Railroad. And so everything built around that. You had all kinds of manufacturing and all kinds of other things, all the finance. So you think that back in the day, all the payrolls and everything else, they had to have all the banking and financing and everything else here. So when they stopped, they could secure all of that or put product on the trains. And so we'd have. 25 to 30,000 people that would stop at Union Station and get off and come down onto 25th Street. And one of the funner stories is that uh, Al Capone rode one of those trains and uh, got off and just thought it was way too crazy and wild of a place for him. And in prohibition, we had a whole bunch of shops along 25th Street where the shop owners would take a, t- take, say a cantaloupe, empty out the cantaloupe, um, fill it full of of illegal alcohol at the time, and then put a plug back on it, and they just carry a cantaloupe back onto the train, but it was all illegal. And a lot of the coffee shops and art places we have now and restaurants, as they've gone in and renovated them, they had opium dens and houses of prostitution and all kinds of things i mean it was a really colorful crazy history back then and it it, ogden's always kind of been a bit of an outlier uh, in, in along the wasatch front because of all of that diversity and everything that came with the trains um that was far outside of what um agricultural and kind of the Mormon norm was along the Wasatch Front. So um, it's been fun to drill into some of that history and to hear about some of the things that happened. And Ogden City in the the early 1900s had more millionaires per capita than any other city in the United States of America because of all of that industry and manufacturing and finance and everything had to be located along those Key transit corridors and and Ogden was right in the thick of all of that. Yeah. So uh, I mean, it really did generate all kinds of of economic prosperity and and crazy things that happen and crazy politics. And you listen to what some of the other mayors did and went through and, and approved and turned their uh, you know eyes away from. It, it's really it's really a fun history. And that that is in keeping with, in my opinion kind of the ski industry and western culture i mean we did we were the wild wild west for a long time so i I love that part of it did did you have
0: any mining industry at the time i know that that's pretty common along the wasatch but was there much of a
1: mining industry here we did not in fact there was a rail line that went from park city where they did have silver and everything else that uh, came to ogden and the mayor i just read a story about it uh, they went to a, a different, I can't remember the name of the investor that invested in it, but Salt Lake was kind of jealous because everything kind of came into Ogden. And so they made a rail spur from Park City to Salt Lake to bring the silver from Park City to Salt Lake and tried to circumvent Ogden and some of the mining stuff. But we didn't have, we mining was never a, a major part of what we did. You have a bunch of uh, bore holes and drill holes along our our mountain, but uh, mining was not ever a a big part of it. We were just rail.
0: Yeah, and you had the Union
1: Pacific Railroad through here, didn't you? Correct, and I think almost all of them came through at one point. But Union Pacific is, is definitely the biggest part. And we just had the sesquicentennial, 150-year anniversary last year, yep. and had 200,000 people that came downtown to see the big steam engine, the big boy that they'd redone, and th- that was really fun to celebrate that.
0: Yeah, it was fun to watch that engine come through uh, over in Echo, over in Summit yeah. County. And, uh, you know, the history of the railroad in the state is, is really quite fascinating. I was just reading a little bit of history of uh, Deer Valley, and there was actually a Union Pacific train that went right up to Deer Valley. Uh-huh. and and, and that line uh, continued up here and uh, Union Pacific was also the entity that developed Sun Valley uh, you know with rail being a very important uh, asset uh, back in back in the 30s um, if you go back even further in time though before the railroad and everything else so who were the early settlers of
1: this area uh they were trappers and we had the first uh, Anglo settlement uh, in in the entire Wasatch Front. In fact, I have a rubbing of a, a sewer grate thing over there that says we, it is 1852. And so, it, I mean, we, trappers came in here a long long time ago. You have two rivers that converge in our downtown and there I'm sure they were beaver trappers and and it was one of the first settlements uh, you know in this whole entire area far far before Salt Lake and and Brigham Young came over and said, you know, this is the place. Yeah. There was uh, there were trappers that uh, that converged at Fort Point of Ensured just right here next to our downtown.
0: It's fun to look at old photographs or or artists renditions of what the area looked like and You know, today, you know, we we see a lot of buildings and homes and things. uh, uh, But if you look and follow rivers and look at intersections of rivers, that uh, that's really where the history begins.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and we are lucky. And you know, I'll I'll actually say that those two rivers that converge in our downtown was one of the things we uh, pushed hard on after the olympics so i had the opportunity of working for the salt lake organizing committee in 2002 and we had a big group of all the olympic organizers and the convention visitors bureau and everybody else that got together post games to say we just had like the most amazing two and a half weeks in ogden we've had in a long time because we did go through a pretty uh, a 40, 50 year economic decline when the interstate came online and diesel engines came into the train environment. And we said, what can we do? What can Ogden do that not a lot of other people can do? I mean, we can build a big rec center. We can do all kinds of things. But, uh, you know, anybody along the Wasatch Front can build some of those same things. What we have that nobody else has is you can be within 20 minutes from three world-class ski resorts you have two rivers that converge in our downtown we have access to hundreds of miles of trails here you can't you either have those resources or you don't kaysville can't go build a dredge, a huge trench through their downtown and bring a river in and all the ecosystem that supports that and everything else. We need to double down on our natural resources and find a way to plug our community into those. And that's been really successful for us. And that's been what we've done in the last 20 years has all been built on the natural environment that we're in and us trying to take care of and, and amplify that.
0: So as, as, as I look at Ogden today, I mean, you're a good example of that, a very healthful, outdoor, active community with bicycling, hiking, skiing, snowboarding, and the like. So, so a lot of this was really a conscious effort on the community to really look at this asset and see how can we make this a focal point for our town?
1: It really was because it, it, you have access to a lifestyle here that not a lot of other places have access to. I mean, I could... I can walk four blocks and be fly fishing on a blue ribbon urban fishery, in right in the heart of our downtown I mean, r- right now. And that, but that was a very conscious effort to say, look, we've got some really unique as- nas- natural assets that we have got to stop ignoring and start taking care of. And that um, you know part of part of one of the ways we did that was we started bringing national events in, you know, like the Xterra National Championships. And we've been rated as one of the top ten marathons in the entire country. But we've br- we've created a whole bunch of events with a lot of that volunteer effort from the Olympics to bring people in, give them an opportunity to have an emotional experience and an emotional connection, which athletics does in ways that not a lot of other things do in our community. And we've seen just in the last five years, we've had an 85% increase in our tourism related revenues. And so that's been very successful, but people come and realize this is an amazing place to be. I'd like to live here i want to be a part of something really authentic and to have these opportunities to have access to these natural resources and and uh, you know so our real estate's gone up a ton. We've had a lot of success in recruiting different companies because a lot of those companies want that lifestyle for their employees, that active lifestyle for their employees. And it's been a it's been a big driver for us.
0: You know, I, I know some of this predates you as mayor, but uh, when when the community started going out to the do Tour and to Xterra to say, hey, why don't you come here? Were there raised eyebrows at first? And did you have to do a little bit of a sales pitch?
1: There were a lot of people that were very skeptical of what we were trying to do actually so my history as I worked for the 2002 games with the executive committee and how i came into being um, in in city government and county government was i was sitting my very last day of employment was the paralympic closing ceremonies and i you know i'd had the most amazing six months of my life working for the games and and seeing all that um, my wife was pregnant and we were building a home and it was my last day of of legitimate employment, and a guy with a big black cowboy hat came up to me, and he said, hey, I've seen you at a lot of these things. Are you, are you a local guy? And I said, well, yeah, I'm northern Utah, Weber State graduate. And he says, well, isn't that something? My name's Commissioner Glenn Burton, and I'm a Weber County commissioner, and we're looking to hire somebody that can come in and help with the Olympic legacy in Weber County. Um, is that something you might be interested in? And I wrote his name <laughs> on my arm with his Sharpie because I had no – Other leads out. I hadn't, I had had two days off in six months and. And so I got I got involved just the week a- they hired me, I interviewed a week after that. They hired me to come into Weaver County and and help with that Olympic legacy. So I was very involved, not as an elected official, but as a hired one to do Olympic legacy work in Weaver County and, and for Ogden City. So I was very involved in all of those pitches for the due tour. I was on the Sports Commission board and, and helped them with the volunteer effort and to build the marathon. And I was the first race director. Director for Xterra for the couple first couple of years we had it here, so I was very involved in that, but just as a kind of behind the scenes organizer through that. So I felt a, a tremendous amount of equity in in what we were doing here. And when Mayor Godfrey at the time um, wasn't going to run again, he approached me and said, "Look, we've built a lot of things in the last number of years, and we need somebody to be willing to carry that forward. And uh, we think you need to run." And I. Well, I'm absolutely not. I have no interest in <laughs> politics at all. And it took a couple of years for me to kind of warm up to it. But w- there, was a, there was a tremendous amount of community effort that went into creating this and to building this and to volunteer for and get involved in. And, and that, that's what stands us. I think it's our secret sauce up here. Um, Ogden's been recognized uh, nationally as the most charitable city in the United States when it comes to volunteer hours donated and charitable donations. And that's how we're able to pull a lot of these things off because the community stands up and and wants to go to work and is really proud of where they live.
0: Yeah. Do you see some of this uh, rubbing off on the youth of the community in terms of their outdoor activity?
1: Oh, absolutely. And so we're kind of diverse up here in Ogden. So um, we have economically some Issues with intergenerational poverty and everything else, and um, you, but you when you look at what's happening with some of the healthy active lifestyles we're trying to provide to these kids. The goal foundation is the post Olympic legacy group. And they go in and do a new runners program and they provide shoes and kids an opportunity for uh, provide kids an opportunity to go do a kid's K or a 5k. The first thing they've ever done in their life and finish the finish line at the marathon with all the pomp and circumstance and everything else. And that's something we're really pushing hard to, to try and do and achieve. And we have reading rewards programs where kids that have never been on skis or a snowboard at all, if they attend school every day and then do whatever their goal is for reading, they get to go up to Nordic Valley and get on a snowboard or get on skis and have teachers up there that give them an experience they wouldn't have access to otherwise. So it's, it's a big part of our DNA.
0: Yeah, it's gratifying, isn't
1: it? (laughs) It is. It's amazing to see these kids, because I was lucky to grow up skiing, and my dad was on ski patrol for 30-plus years, and that was just what we did. It's amazing to see some of these kids show up at a resort like that and say, you know, I've never been out of Ogden. Uh I've never been out of downtown Ogden. And to come up here and see this beautiful pine view and be on the mountain and everything. I mean, their eyes just get so big and it's an experience they would have never had otherwise. And I agree. It's, it's re it's really rewarding.
0: Yeah. And it's right here. Yeah. Right, right here. here, you know. The other thing that that I've watched over the last couple of decades is the uh, uh, the immigrational say of all of these global brands, outdoor industry brands. And I know that was a very concerted effort uh, initiated by your predecessor. And you know, now you look around and some amazing brands who are headquartered right here in downtown Ogden.
1: Forty plus uh, logos or brands, if you will, that are located here. And one of the things we've found with that is that. Uh, and I was in the outdoor industry for a long time. And I wasn't there because I was going to create a new app or I was going to be able to cash out. It was because you wanted more time on skis, a bike, or lifestyle.
0: That's how you've got eight bikes.
1: Yeah, yeah. and eight pairs of skis or however else you want to put it. And a whole closet full of climbing gear and, and everything else. But the those brands, the jobs are important But the credibility it gives to the lifestyle that's accessible here is an entirely different conversation. It's affordable. You can still, like we said, you know, a lot of them, a lot of those brands will have, uh, if it snows over 12 inches, they don't open the office until noon. They want their employees to get Get out and go live that lifestyle. And to have 40 different companies when, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't have any, we had zero to have 40 different companies that have located here and are pushing that lifestyle and that brand is really important. And we found that, you know, that might be less than 10% of the new jobs we've created, but that authenticity and that credibility that those brands give because of the lifestyle has brought in a whole bunch of other you know, financial companies and, and, and a lot of the job creation has come because of that lifestyle you can still have here.
0: The, the, the other aspect that my wife and I have noticed when we come up to Ogden is the importance of the arts to this to this community we were up uh, for the Christmas village over the holidays and we popped into the new monarch uh, which was just a remarkable uh, uh, experience and I, I I think it's it's what you refer to as kind of the whole life culture here that that uh, you want to make sure that there's there's a, a really good sense of culture for everyone
1: we do and because of Ogden's history and its diversity, you can do and be anything you want in Ogden. And so there's there's not a set of preconceived notions about who you should be doing and what you should be doing for work and everything else. I, I love the independence and, and the mindset of that. And so wh- one of the things we've worked hard on that's really grown organically is this arts culture and this creative culture, where you can come up and share ideas and Be a part of something unique. You know, Ogden's funny in that you look at a lot of cities along the Wasatch Front and there's not a downtown core. Um, They get kind of spread out and there's not a lot of personality to it. Ogden has a really rich and vibrant downtown, historic 25th Street. You know, it's interesting um, 30 years ago. I think it was 35 of the 43 buildings we had on historic 25th Street were boarded up and vacant. I remember it, that. Yeah, and 4 years ago it was recognized by the American Planning Association as one of the top 10 streets in the United States of America. And so it's got a heartbeat. It's got a history, it's got a soul. We have our amphitheater, our twilight series brings in I think last year we had 88,000 people that came to our twilight concerts. But it it does kind of spur that that creative Uh, idealist uh environment and the monarch was a great way to to put a cap on that Uh, we have a first friday art stroll we've been doing that for a long time and the monarch uh, the developer of that thing fisher really had a a unique vision and when he came and said here's kind of what i want to do with this uh 40 year old parking garage that hasn't had well it's a hundred year old parking garage that hadn't had anything in it for 40 years we're like, oh, man, that's bold and aggressive. Yeah. and But we like bold and aggressive. So we went with him and, and partnered with him on that. And that's a, obviously the, the epicenter of that first Friday art stroll now with all of the different little creative boutiques they have in there. And everything's come out of that. He did a phenomenal job pulling a lot of really dynamic things together to put that together. I don't know of any other city certainly on the Wasatch front that could have done a project that was that dynamic and and pulled it off like like they did. So yeah. we're really proud of it. And it is, it's a great gathering place. Everybody comes together and shares ideas and En- enjoys each other's company and celebrates their community, and that that's that's unique.
0: For for those who haven't been there, can you tell us a little bit more about exactly what the Monarch is as kind of a this collection of artists?
1: Yeah, so they have all kinds of of, of small working spaces in the Monarch. Um, they have podcasts that go on. They have music every weekend. They have an events gathering space upstairs where people have weddings or. We've got uh, uh, a couple of, of uh, Chamber of Commerce events next week where people get up and, and talk about what's going on. And I think that will host up to 500 people in that event space upstairs. Uh, small little restaurants, uh, wine bar, and all kinds of stuff that goes on in there. But it is it's, – it's intended to bring – all kinds of people together to have these creative collusions and share ideas and and inspirations and everything else and so they really have done a great job of across the board bringing all kinds of creatives into that one area and and making sure people get a chance to have conversations like this or you know have coffee and you got an idea? Well, here's somebody executing on some similar things, and let's put you together and figure out a way to to do more and accelerate that. And it, it was it was uh it's on the back end of one of our historic hotels. It's called the Bigelow now. It used to be the Ben Lomond Hotel, but it was for decades where you drove these jalopies across the U.S. and you had to park at the hotel, and then they would do you know oil maintenance and fix your tires and everything else because cars just didn't run like they do now. But for 40 years, that sat vacant and nothing was in it. And as we've kind of grown as a community, Thane recognized an opportunity to have an arts gathering space like that and really pulled a lot of different strings to, to put that together. So we're really proud of it. It's been in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal. A lot of people have recognized that as being extremely unique it's
0: it's a really fun place let's talk now about Ogden as a ski town and I was thinking about this that there's nothing like this as a ski town really that I can think of anywhere in the world where you have essentially a small urban center so close to these three major resorts and just a different type of culture but uh how how did this evolve over the years that that this Junction city metro area became a ski town
1: it it's it, you're right it has been an evolution when i first came i mentioned i worked for the olympic committee and when i uh, came to work in ogden all the hotels that were here said ogden is not a uh, skiing is not a part of of our destination traffic at all we're only doing hill air force base or business travel skiing is not a part of it at all and uh I grew up skiing at Snow Basin. I mean, I, I was grew up in Ogden, my, uh, lived in Kaysville for a little bit. But I always just loved going up to Snow Basin. And when Snow Basin put hundreds of millions of dollars into upgrades before the Olympics, I, it totally changed that whole – I mean, world class in terms of the amenities, the lodges, gondolas, everything else – And after the Olympics, you know, what happened that was really unique during the Olympics is that uh, 9-11 occurred about five months before the Games. So the Secret Service came in. So the Holding family put hundreds of millions of dollars into Snow Basin. And after 9-11, the Secret Service came in and said, we're changing the entirety of the security of the Games protocol. And so they did a mag and bag. So you rode up on a bus. Got out of the mag and bag, went to your metal bleacher, got right back on the bus and out of there. And nobody got to see these hundreds of millions of dollars of, of upgrades that the holding family had made. So it was a hidden gem. And honestly, for me, being a bit of a ski bum, I love – Monday through Friday downtown with all the activity and everything else when I take my kids up to go ski on the weekend. I'm like, where did all these people come from? So I'm in a bit of a dichotomy because it has been discovered. But it really was, I mean, you can't, we call it a mountain to metro because there aren't a lot of places where you have a a major metropolitan area like we do here with 90,000 residents. And within 20, 30 minutes, you can be in an absolutely pristine mountain environment. And so that's what we pushed was you do have a mountain to metro lifestyle here that you can't get a lot of other places. You can go have a mountain lifestyle. You can go live in Vail or Park City or some other places that are or, or mountain environments, but you don't have the whole metropolitan with a major university and all the arts and cultural things that come with having a major university here. Uh, and that's uh, – it, it is unique. I, I would entirely agree. You live in Denver. You, you're driving sometimes – Four or five hours in a metropolitan area to get into the ski areas um, here, are you're 20, 30 minutes and you still have the access to jobs and the uh, economy and education and, and opportunity.
0: You know, if you look at downtown Ogden, which has really grown organically over the last couple of decades, and this is the Opry spot, and it's it's made it an experience that's not just one where you want to go up to the mountain, but you want to spend a night downtown. And how has how has that impacted the overall Ogden ski town culture?
1: Well, one of the things we have that I really love is that everything's unique. We don't have a lot of change. You don't have a chilis or an applebees or anything else dominating our downtown you have all these independently operated and run restaurants that are all a reflection of the personalities of the owners and we've worked hard to make sure that we keep that authenticity in our downtown so you still get to come have a, a you know a western ski experience here but you have We have over 80 restaurants in our downtown area that are all independently operated and owned, and you can really go just, poke around and spend weeks exploring all these different restaurants and experiences and, and everything that that comes with that. It's, um, we're, I, I, I love that part of our community and all those restaurateurs and artists and people that put themselves out there have really helped define this. Our job is to stand them up and support them, but we want to keep that identity and that authenticity. We don't want to be, you know, a place, you know, one of the things we've looked at a number of times is, say, Pearl Street and Boulder, where it's all these big national chains along the entire way. And you don't really get to have an authentic experience with that. We have still an authentic experience here without all those national chains, And that's something we're working hard to keep hold of.
0: Well, it's, it's very noticeable, and when you walk 25th Street, before we come up, we always kind of prep and say, hey, what are the new restaurants? We went to the new Italian restaurant when we were up in December and had a really good experience. You know, one of the cores, though, for me is Roosters, you know, and having a, having a really good brewery uh, that's really fun and well-managed uh, on 25th Street is kind of the anchor.
1: Yeah, well, and Kim and Pete are two of my best friends in the world, and long before I got into this um, – we recognize that they were pioneers they built the, both union grill and roosters long before 25th street was any kind of a destination and then they do all kinds of trail work and community work and volunteer work and kim has been with me on the gold foundation board for you know i guess two decades close to two decades now and, Get up at 3.30 in the morning, slept barricades and do all kinds of stuff. Not because they're going to make any more sales at their restaurant, but because they just know those are the right things to do in your community and they're community builders. And so um, the prior administration, we had uh, a, a number of them. And I've heard this from a lot of people that we just need People like Kim and Pete in our community—they are community builders—and not a lot of people can give as much as they do or are willing to. And I'm very blessed to call them a couple of my best friends, and uh, that they're willing to do that kind of work here in this community. And she's been on the Ski Utah board for ever. Yeah. Yeah. The Utah Office of Tourism board. She's on the. Um, we were di- water district board. I mean, if it's on the new Olympic group and yeah, yeah. I'm on that Olympic group yeah. committee with her. So we, that was super fun. We had that kickoff meeting last uh, Wednesday and they're givers. They're absolute givers.
0: Yeah. You know, the, the, the other thing that's interesting to me, uh, you have a really good hotel base now with, with most of the national chains represented with, with a footprint here, but you have to get the skiers up to the mountain. And it seems like you have a very good integration with UTA on that.
1: And, and we're grateful for that, but that was something that took a long time to figure out. Um, the city and the county actually self-funded a ski shuttle when we were trying to get them to, uh, to work on a, a ski bus so we could at least establish the numbers to say there's a market for it. You guys come in, um, this is what your ridership might look like, and we have self-funded that for five years so we could at least create enough numbers to go back to UTA and say, look, you're doing this in – all the Cottonwood Canyons, you're doing it at Sundance, you're doing it everywhere else. And so we really leveraged those numbers to, to, at at that point, force UTA's hand. Now they've totally embraced it. UTA is a great partner of ours, but it's fun for me to drive to work and uh, see people walking across the street in ski boots and skis (laughs) over their shoulder, knowing they're going to jump on the ski bus. And a lot of times... I'll get smoked before my daughters will. And so I'll head home and my my girls can jump on the ski bus ride down and I can, you know, just drive a handful of minutes to go pick them up instead of having to drive all the way back up to the resort if they're skiing with their friends and their young legs. So it's been a great partnership for us and we've appreciated UTA um, stepping up and, and taking care of that. And that's, you know those relationships are, are critical. We
0: we talked earlier about the legacy of the 2002 games and how that really was a catalyst for, for these efforts in the community. Now we have discussion of another potential future bid, and I know that you sit on the uh, Salt Lake City, Utah committee for the games that's looking at potentially a 2030 or a 34 bid. As you look at your community of Ogden and the resorts that you have here, uh, how would a next iteration of the Olympics really give you yet another boost?
1: Well – If you think about it, in 2002, um, for me, that was the first time in my life I actually got a cell phone for work. There was no such thing as Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You didn't have uh, access to 50 different news channels and feeds and everything else. The games for the state of Utah would be entirely different in 2030 or 2034, just because of the reach of media and everything else. You know, when I grew up here, Utah was always a flyover state. It wasn't a destination area. Um, We weren't known for world class really anything. And uh, after the games, it changed perspectives worldwide. And I think in other games would would. Uh, just do that on steroids. You know, we're going to have the first major airport renovation in 20 years. The last one was Denver, and if you go to Denver, it, it, that's nothing like flying into downtown Salt Lake City. This new airport, when I worked there, one of the things I did for uh, the organizing committee was I did all the meet and greet. So all the VIPs that came into the airport I met them, greeted them. We had uh, a whole host of volunteers that got them to their vehicles and transportation, but they would be staying in their hotel room, flying to Salt Lake International, and in 10 minutes, you're into downtown, into your host hotel or whatever. And then you're within 40 minutes of every single major venue in the Olympics from downtown. I mean, there is no place in the world that can host a games like that. So let's look into the crystal ball a little bit. If you look into
0: the future for the ski town of Ogden, what kind of things do you see?
1: Well, you mentioned earlier, I think before we got on mic, that we have uh, – you've got a really unique group in terms of the Summit crew that's running Powder Mountain right now. Snow Basin has been recognized in all kinds of national publications as one of the most unique gems in North America in terms of skiing because you don't have on-mountain – properties yet yet they haven't built that out it's just a straight ski experience with amazing lodges food and gondolas and then we have the group that's buying the morgan the the the, Mm -hmm. that big huge piece of property i believe it's almost twenty eight thousand acres and morgan are going to make the yellowstone club kind of Mm -hmm. wasatch front i believe they're calling it wasatch peaks right now There's a lot of speculation going on about how all of those are going to tie together and and how that will all look. Um, I think Ogden really is one of the most unique um, places in terms of the ski industry. When you look at the diversity of the products, Snow Basin is different than Powder Mountain and Nordic Valley and then the Wasatch Peaks Resort. That's going to bring in a really unique eclectic group of operators and owners that's going to, change what's happening here um, for decades. I don't know of a more diverse area when you look at all of those different types of resorts and styles of skiing and and the terrain. There's there's just no place like it. No place like it in terms of how we move people in and out of those really unique environments. And uh, that's something I hope we'll all spend some considerable time working on.
0: Yeah. From having spent most of my life in the ski industry, I think we're, we're living in one of the best times with so much diversity. And right here, we're at the epicenter. As you say, access has been the, uh, the big thing here, and mm-hmm. we're just so close to all of these resources. So, Mike, thank you very much. We're going to wrap it up with our, our, our lightning round that we do with every Last Chair podcast. Some really simple questions for you as we wrap things up. First of all, where
1: did you learn to ski initially? I learned to ski actually at Brighton. My dad took me up a couple of times, Alta and Brighton, and then uh, spent, uh, I bet I've been a season pass holder at Snow Basin for 30 plus years.
0: Cool. And what's your favorite run right here in the Ogden area? Inbounds run.
1: Inbounds run. uh, It would be, if it's a good day, you can't strawberry or john paul something off of john paul we call it hollywood yeah if it's a good day that's as good as it gets and if you've got the the alpine touring gear on favorite run in the backcountry Well, um, we've just spent last weekend, two weekends ago, we spent a couple of days in Montana. Um, They've got some amazing things up there. Uh, They call it Los Angeles now in the backcountry because it's so busy. Cutler Flats has some great runs up there as well. That's in Northern Utah. Um, That's more accessible than anywhere else. So I'd say Cutler Flats.
0: Okay. Favorite ski resort outside of the Ogden area?
1: Nice uh, you know, I I don't know that I have one. I I'm a it's I'm a total hometowner. We, right. I used to be the, the director of Lodija for a long time, and we had all kinds of passes to Tetons, and I didn't use them once because I couldn't stand driving past uh, what we've got just up here in northern Utah. No, I I hear you. Uh, favorite mountain bike ride? I uh, I would probably still because it's where I grew up and spent so many years. I'd probably say uh, Slick Rock is still in in terms of. Dropping back, having memories, and everything else. That's one of my favorites. Uh, What's on your playlist when you ride? Playlist. You know, I. I, probably shouldn't say it but uh i have acdc on my pandora radio there's
0: nothing wrong with that <laughs>
1: and, and i lo- love some old school energy man yeah old school hard rock and roll that or the avid brothers are kind of my new favorite playlist too when i'm writing I, d- I don't need it to be intense all the time it's just kind of settle into a rhythm yeah. and, and go do something else so probably writing i would say more Avets and then acdc at i love the gym. that
0: one actually that's yep. that's a good one um this might be tough for you, but favorite 25th Street restaurant?
1: You know, uh, Roosters, we talked about that. I go between two that are my favorites, Roosters, and then if, if we have a special event, we go to Tonus, and that's the best sushi, in my opinion, I've ever had in my life.
0: I have not tried that yet, but that's everybody I talk to. That's number one on their list. It
1: is, it is phenomenal.
0: Favorite Utah
1: craft beer? Uh, favorite Utah craft beer. I'd go, uh, Roosters double IPA. Okay. Right
0: on. Last question. Groomers, powder,
1: glades, or moguls? Oh, powder for sure.
0: Everybody picks powder.
1: I like, I like to rip groomers, but, um, there's nothing like a good powder day in Utah.
0: Well, Mike, thanks for joining us and sharing stories about your wonderful ski town, the community of Ogden. Ogden Mayor Mike Caldwell, one of Ski Utah's biggest supporters, and don't be surprised to run into him along 25th Street or up at the top of Strawberry at Snow Basin. If you're enjoying Last Chair from Ski Utah, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and please share with a friend. I hope you're enjoying these stories of the people who make the Ski Utah experience so magical. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. My pleasure. I'm Tom Kelly your host for Ski Utah's Last Chair. I'll see you on the slopes.